Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. When Jesus was conversing with the teacher of the law and the teacher of the law asked him, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus was like, well, you read the Bible. <laughs> what do you think? And, you know, the person said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, cool, you got it. And then it says, seeking to justify himself. Mm. He asked, who is my neighbor? Yeah. And that, and that phrase, seeking to justify himself, says everything about the context of what was going on there. Mm. So I want to already believe that I'm good. So as a result of that, I'm going to put the pressure on you for you to narrow the scope of what I'm supposed to be concer concerned about. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and this is the last weekend of February, the last weekend of Black History Month. As Gabe and his team at Q have done from the get-go, Q is about staying curious, thinking well, and then advancing good on some of the most difficult and perplexing issues facing the world, our nation, and God's bride, the church. Some of the conversations on Q Ideas many of us are ready to listen to. They hit a point of keen interest for us. Others... Well, they do have a level of resistance, but they are still important to talk about because they hit others, including members of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, at a very personal and painful level. And today, we're not just going to feature a talk, but a portion of a couple of dialogues that some will find hard to listen to, but Gabe, they are conversations that are so needed and long overdue. Conversations of deep dialogue around difficult topics, things that aren't easy to talk about. These days, it's hard to find these conversations, and we're seeing that more and more from you, how much you've appreciated our desire to lead in this space, to try to create space for the difficult conversations to actually happen. And that happened for us as we convened people over these last couple of months. Our Q&A event that we hosted had an amazing set of conversations, and one of those was around the topic of race and justice. And we wanted to bring in a few people to just talk around what happened in 2020 around this conversation. How should Christian leaders approach it? How should pastors be thinking about their role in these conversations? And how do we listen more and learn more? How do we hold to good, true, orthodox theology, but also stay very aware of the current conversations and not necessarily be those that are shifting with the wind of the age or the spirit of the age? but those who understand the conversations of the age and certainly know how to engage those, not to just write them off, not to just say, oh, because you support this particular group or this organization, I'm not even going to engage this conversation. That is not something we get to do. We have to engage. We have to listen. We have to, with humility, enter into these places. And that's what happened in this conversation. And so you're going to get to hear an excerpt of this conversation. This was a long conversation, hour an hour and 15 minutes with lots of Q&A from our actual participants in the event. So I want you to see all of that, which you can do on Q Media, where we make this available to you, where you can actually watch this entire dialogue and, and conversation. But today, we wanted to just give you a little taste of it, uh, let you in on what that dialogue was like, and you're going to see pretty quickly, we're jumping in deep. And 
We had with us three people who, in this particular clip, were speaking about this. We also had John Tyson as a part of that panel, pastor out of New York. But the three you're going to hear in this particular moment was David Bailey, who's the founder of Erebon. And that's a ministry that equips Christian communities to become reconciling communities when we have such a diverse, divided world. And David's been leading with us for many, many years and a part of the Race and Repair Q session we did that's also on Q Media that you can access with over two hours of nine-minute talks and interviews around what it means as Christians to engage this. But in addition to David Bailey was Rasul Berry. He's the teaching pastor at the Bridge Church in Brooklyn and also a team member with an organization called Embark that's focused on millennials. And he's very passionate, and you'll see this, about just communicating spiritual truth into our moment. And so we just love having him as a part of this. And then also Micah Edmondson, who's a pastor, a lead pastor at Koinonia, a new congregation that's here in Nashville, planted by Christ Presbyterian Church. And previously, he served as founding pastor of New City Fellowship in Grand Rapids. And he was the first African-American to receive a PhD at Calvin Theological Seminary. He's the author of The Power of Unearned Suffering, a book about Martin Luther King Jr.'s theology of suffering. And as we listen in, you're going to hear these three gentlemen engage this conversation and help us all think well about such an important topic, race and justice. And and I I know for me, there's been a level of frustration. There's been a level of frustration with white brothers and sisters who... um, don't like what they see in Black Lives Matter and find more energy critiquing that, but not actually partnering up with black people who they're like in relationship with to address issues that are going on in the black community. And and, and it's it's a very significant salt on the wounds when I hear, you talk about blue on black crime, what about black on black crime? And I'm like, have you not seen what Rasul and David and Jude 3 and, like, yeah. The Witness? Like, have you not been seeing what folks have been doing for a really long time? And so could you just maybe just spend a little time talking to the, the, the thing behind the thing, the pastoral issue of this political concern? Yeah. Um, and like you said, I mean, uh, we've both been, like, a foot in each world. Uh, I've been on staff with crew for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, predominantly white context, and yet at the same time, oftentimes engaging from a ministerial context in a predominantly black space. And uh, that, that is really the, one of the most painful and difficult. Is, it, there's a re-traumatization that happens when you see something like that and you're traumatized. And then you express, you, you articulate it, and someone is then parsing your words or challenging the very identity. It's almost like if you saw a family member gets shot and killed, and it's like, well, did you really, like, you know, what did they do, though? Right. And you're like, yo, my, my family member just got shot and killed. What, why are you asking me this? And, um, and so I think that there is a, uh, a challenge with, for, that's, that's pretty complex on a few levels. I mean, one, just on the basic uh, level, I remember when, when Jesus was asking, uh, when was conversing with the teacher of the law, and the teacher of the law asked him, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus was like, well, you read the Bible. <laughs> what do you think? And, you know, the person said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, cool, you got it. And then it says, seeking to justify himself. Mm. He asked, who is my neighbor? Yeah. And, that, and that phrase, seeking to justify himself, 
says everything about the context of what was going on there. Mm. It's I, so I want to already believe that I'm good. So as a result of that, I'm going to put the pressure on you for you to narrow the scope of what I'm supposed to be concer- concerned about. And the reality is I can actually relate to that in a different way over the last few years. So I remember when the Me Too movement was the conversation that was happening. And I was shocked to see all these, like, like well-known men, like, just embroiled in, you know, these horrible acts and violence toward women. And I remember turning to my wife and my daughter, I'm like, this is crazy. This is shocking, isn't it? And they were like, no, it isn't. Right. And then they began to relay stories of walking down the street in New York and cat calls and, and this and that happening in these scenarios. And I realized I wasn't aware of where I was coming from as a man and the fact that there was a whole story that I wasn't aware of. And I remember watching um, The Color Purple on Broadway, right? And being like, yo, I'm feeling like I'm getting, getting a few hits in as a black man in this story. Mm. And there's a sense of wanting to, seeking to justify myself, good, disassociate myself from the situation. Yeah. But it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Spirit says stay there a little bit longer and instead see what you can learn and, and, yeah. and just acknowledge, confess and repent where you've been negligent and recognize and move forward. And I think that's an important step. Yeah. And then once you get to that step, then you can start to see what are the tools that I've been lacking theologically, sociologically, anthropologically, that, that have caused me to miss something that's pretty clear to a lot of other people. That's yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can I? Yeah, please. Yeah. So that was, that was amazing, my brother. Um, I, I, um, last year, I had the opportunity to go to Cape Town, South. Well, I went to Johannesburg, South Africa. And we got, we, we went to, went there, we landed uh, from the airplane and the pastor that was there that was helping to host us, he drove us uh, from the airport into, to his home. And as we were going to, into Johannesburg, um, he said, I noticed this large hill in the distance and um, he, he looked and it had like a flat top, a completely flat top. And he said, you know, you see that hill? I said, yeah. He said, um, he said, that's not, that's not a natural thing. That's a man-made hill. That's a mind dump uh, where um, f- uh, from the, they would take materials from the, from the diamond trade uh, and they would, put, they would just dump it in this, in this particular area. I said, oh, wow. He said, uh, he said but you know, you, know, you know why it's put right here? I said, why? He said, um, he said, the reason this mind dump is here is because the township of Soweto is on the other side. And the white South Africans, when they, were, when they were coming into Johannesburg, did not want to look at the township on the other side. And so the mind dump keeps them from having to reckon with the human cost of their uh, uh, oppressive system. And I would suggest that a lot of theology is like that mind dump, right? A lot of theology is constructed in such a way that it keeps us from having to reckon with the human cost of injustice, particularly racial injustice in America. And so we have a theology that has comfortably coexisted with 250 years of child slavery, with Jim Crow, with the lynching tree, with segregation, with mass incarceration, with any number of things that you can name. And you say, well, how, how can that be? Well, it's a, it's a theology that was deliberately constructed to be blind in certain places. So if we say, why is it that the church is behind on issues of race? It's because the theology is working as designed. Uh, 
And what that means is we need another theology, a biblical theology that actually tells us the truth and allows us to see the township. It's amazing that Jesus, when he was born, would chose to be born in the township. Mm-hmm. Right? See, um, appreciate it one more time, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but I, I, I'll leave it at that. But, um, but I think, so this issue is a big issue. It causes for us to listen to one another. Um, Christian men must listen. They must sit at the feet of Christian women because when they read the Bible and when they and when the Lord speaks to them, they're going to see some things that we as men will not see. It is significant that that the first Bible teacher that Jesus had was his mother. That's significant, right? I mean, we don't hear much about Joseph's Bible teachings to, to, to Jesus, right? But, um, but, but the Magnificat, right? Mary's song that she sang in praise to God, the themes of the Magnificat is coming all out in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And you say, Wait, where did he get that? Well, Jesus got that from his mother, mm. right? Who the father used to speak to the son, okay? So that's, that's teaching us something. Yeah, I mean, you, one of the things you kind of share is that, I mean, one of the big challenges, particularly in the, like, theology just isn't made in a vacuum. There's, it's being built off of history. And, and the historical line, particularly of, like, conservative white evangelicalism, is a, a disembodied theology. It's, just, it's, it's been significantly captured by the Enlightenment. And, you know, uh, Jamie Smith kind of talks about it, this in his book, Desiring the Kingdom. But Carl Ellis talks about this in, in a lot of his work where he says, like, theology is both ethics, I mean, it's both epistemology, what do you know, and ethics. It's a, we say, side A and side B. And particularly the history, particularly in, like, the white Christian historical line is really about knowing the right things. But I quote you often, you say that there's been a form of Christianity that allows you to be both pious and racist at the same time. And, 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 and that has been the historical aspect of it for hundreds of years, right? And, and, and that's important for those of us in the evangelical tradition to understand that's part of that tradition. Carl Ellis kind of talks about, like, in the black Christian experience, you had to have questions of ethics because of the inequality that one was experiencing. And you also had to have an embodied theology because there was a false anthropology of what it meant to be. Like, people were saying, hey, you aren't human. And so there's a more, like, like embodied aspect of things. And really, it's not an either-or, it's an and-both. Well, I know we just began stirring the pot. That was just a little taste of a much bigger conversation. And I want you to take time to hear that bigger conversation. You can do that on Qmedia. And we actually are making available a free trial. You can... If you've never accessed Qmedia, you're not a subscriber right now, as many in our community are. But for those of you who aren't, you can get free access, have a 30-day trial by going to qideas.org slash QA. So go to qideas.org slash QA, sign on, 30-day free trial. Not only hear this conversation, you're going to get to hear so many other ones we had around mental health. We talked about conspiracy theories and censorship. We talked about progressive Christianity and the deconstruction movement that's taking place. We actually had a whole conversation with the next generation. We're talking Gen Z, talking to us as church leaders and Christian leaders about what they need, what they're seeing as the opportunity in their 
generation. So you're going to be encouraged by all of this. You also have access to the race and repair conversation, 10 talks and interviews, nine minutes each around unique ways the church can be a reconciling community, can be the kind of people that are part of repairing those breaches and those things that have been broken. Gabe, since we still have several minutes to this week's show, you had mentioned the Q session from this past summer called Race and Repair, a virtual event that happened shortly after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis that sparked so much unrest in our nation and even globally last year. All the talks and conversations of that event are, as you mentioned, on the Q Media platform at qideas.org as a subscriber. And we want to highlight one of the talks from that event. Now, the conversation we just heard in the first half of this show was entirely titled, Does Theology Perpetuate Injustice? And in some ways, certain theological constructs in America did just that. But can theology help us repair the pain and injustice of the past? Again, at the Race and Repair virtual Q session from this past summer, one of the speakers was Duke Kwan. Duke is the lead pastor of a church named Grace Meridian Hill in Washington, D.C., a multiracial church that seeks to be a place of healing and repair. He has spoken a few other times with you, Gabe, about how the church needs to be a people who seek the repair and restoration of others. We even featured a talk on Q Ideas from him talking about what he termed ecclesiastical reparations, where the church leads in being the agent of repair. And with that in mind, let us listen to a portion of a conversation between Gabe and Duquan from that past summer event as Duke lays out a theology of repair. The clearest example of it in the Bible that we find is from Luke 19. That's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector who was living in the extractive economy of the Roman world and who himself was an extractor, a tax collector, who routinely robbed people Uh, sometimes through deception, sometimes through violence. That was the reality of tax collectors in the Roman world. And he took from people upon conviction of his sin, having met Jesus, he repents and not just repents, he restores, he promises to give back to the poor, to those whom he ripped off. He's actually drawing from the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures from Leviticus 6, Numbers 5, Exodus 22, where we're told you gotta not only confess your sin, But anything that has been stolen, taken, or something that's owed to another person that's withheld, something that a person has a right to but that you obstruct them from obtaining, or something that you received, a stolen item, and that you've just kept and held on to, all those kinds of things need to be returned to its rightful owner, both perpetrators of that theft, accomplices of that theft, and in a fascinating passage, even the heirs and descendants of those thieves need to give to the heirs and descendants of those whom have been robbed. This is a continuing obligation because as long as you still have them hot goods, no matter how you came upon it, it doesn't belong to you. No matter how many generations have passed, if it's not yours, you gotta give it back. This is the basic ethic of restitution. Yeah, and so the term reparation, obviously, for most people hearing that term, it has a government you know, perspective on it they've seen maybe historically. Well, some people don't understand some how governments have done reparations in our history, um, not right. necessarily American history, but going into other nations, you can see where this has been a part, either symbolically but practically, of how to have restitution take place. I want you to help us continue in the conversation from the church perspective, because a lot of people listening maybe aren't going to have the ability to affect a governmental 
change in this or a, or a moment, but they definitely have the opportunity to think about their local church, their local neighborhood, their local community, their own life. Yeah. And what does it look like for them to participate in restitution? Um, so could you talk a little bit more about the perspective you'd, you'd take as a pastor and as a church about how do we do this? Yeah, well, what I just summarized a, a second ago was, was really a, a moral case that can be applied, must be applied in all kinds of contexts and all kinds of situations. And so, of course, it's re- relevant to the U.S. government, but fundamentally, it's the same ethic that applies to all of us. It applies to the church as well, because the church has been, if we're honest and observant of the realities of history, that the church itself has been a bulwark and a place of shelter for white supremacy. Uh, We need to, as Christians, take this seriously upon ourselves. But you could argue, actually, that for Christians, we're not less, but rather more morally bound to restoring what's been taken to our from our African American neighbors, not less but more, because listen, the government doesn't bear the ni- name of Christ, the church does. The government doesn't identify itself as the embodiment of the kingdom of God. That's the church's claim. The, the government hasn't committed itself really to the renewal of the whole world by God's design. That's the church's mission and calling. And so, actually, what we need to grapple with is our responsibility to restore, not just from the perspective of our culpability, but also from the perspective of our calling. Mm. You know what, Gabe? There's actually more to reparations from a Christian perspective than the ethics of restitution alone. And you know what it is? Jesus told a story about a man who got robbed. He was beaten, robbed, and left for dead on a roadside. And some religious people came by and ignored him and crossed the street and walked on by on the other side. But then along came another one, a Samaritan, it turns out, who crossing social, cultural barriers and expectations proceeded to love, to restore, to give sacrificially out of what he had to restore this man's dignity, to restore this robbed man's wealth, to give out of himself and to love in a way that no one else was willing to love. Reparations for the Christian boils down to this, the love of neighbor. Hmm. It is simply what we have been called to do in this world, and it is actually incredibly pedantic for us only to try to do the arithmetic of whether or not I I am, by virtue of my descendants, uh, my ancestry, uh, responsible for this and that. Look, we're called to lay it all down. We're Hmm. called to love at great cost to ourselves, we're called to love like Christ, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And so, therefore, we restore, we look for all the different ways in which our black neighbors have been robbed, have been victims of mass, cultural, generational, multifaceted theft. And I think we're called to give, restoring the truth that has been robbed of yeah. them and of our nation, restoring wealth, restoring power, restoring all these things. So, Duke, in our final seconds here, you know, I know a lot of people get paralyzed. A lot of white people get paralyzed because of guilt, because of shame, you know, whether it's generational, whether it's just something in their past and, and they don't know what to do. And I, but I feel like the way you've approached this over these years of talking about it, I know you're writing a book now on this, um, 
has has brought a lot of hope to the conversation to where instead of being paralyzed by shame and guilt, it's been motivating and inspiring to say, let's get creative. So just spend a moment helping us understand the creative possibilities that exist for Christians, for the church in a moment like this. Yeah, this this is a work of reimagining the world that could have been had we not been perpetrators and accomplices in mass cultural theft of our African-American brothers and sisters and neighbors. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a journey of imagination, and in that sense, it's hopeful. And it's true, Gabe, there's a lot of destructive shaming in today's conversations about race. We are, however, people of grace, grace that tells us that we're loved by God, grace that leads us to repentance. But I think it's really important to say that it's a, it, it's a conversation full of hope, but it's not a painless conversation. Mm-hmm. It will be, and it must be filled with grief and contrition. It, it's not shaming primarily because it's not primarily about me. It's about our neighbor. It's about turning our attention outward to the good of our neighbor at great cost to ourselves. And to the degree that we remember that with our eyes turned upwards and our eyes turned outwards, I think we can restore our energy to get behind Jesus's project of social repair. We're not without steps. It's hopeful in the final analysis because we will find God on this side of the Jericho Road. That was just a portion of a conversation between Gabe and Duke Kwan from this past summer from a virtual event that Gabe hosted along with good friend David Bailey from Erebon called Q Sessions Race and Repair. Duke laid out a lot of ideas there, and maybe you want to hear them again or in their full context, plus listen to the rest of the Race and Repair session. Well, again, the, those talks are available as a Q Media subscriber at qideas.org. And if you're not a subscriber yet, and want to do, say, a test drive, look under the hood and kick the tires a bit, you can get a free 30-day free trial now at qideas.org. Hear a great variety of talks and conversations, plus curated movies, podcasts, and so much more to help you think well and to invite others into a deeper conversation around important issues. Again, if you're not a Q Media subscriber yet, Gabe, all our friends can easily get that 30-day free trial at qideas.org. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Thank you for being a part of the Q community. Thank you for listening and always engaging and always seeking to understand. The more we do that as a Christian community, I really believe our mouth, our language, the words that we use, it's going to be seasoned with grace, the kind of grace that in Colossians Paul talks about that's essential. And when we have that kind of grace in these conversations, people ask questions. And when they ask those questions, we'll have an opportunity to share why we respond in such a way. But we don't get that opportunity when we don't listen well. And so hopefully this is the beginning of listening well for all of us. And I hope this encourages you as you move into your week. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.